Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Lane Fortenberry. He's the CEO at Grainster.com. Lane, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I, when we talked um, a while ago, what you guys are doing is is really interesting to me, and I always kind of love companies that are bringing technology into industries that haven't traditionally been known to have technology. And I think what what appealed to me about having you on the show is the fact that you know I think a lot of people have experience in industries that you know don't have technology and that they could potentially be the one to bring technology into that industry and so um that's kind of the big reason i that i really wanted to have you on the show and i think you know you guys are doing something really cool but maybe before we kind of get into grainster itself let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up okay so uh i was born in paragold arkansas and uh Moved to Greenville, Mississippi. Uh, my dad was in the rice industry, and that's how I came to know about ag. So I uh, moved to Greenville, Mississippi, and he worked for American Rice for a, a long time there in Greenville, Mississippi. So I actually uh, grew up in Greenville, uh, graduated high school, and went to college there in, in Mississippi. And then uh, moved to San Antonio for a little while, and then moved back to Little Rock. And, and my dad uh, actually bought the mill that he was, uh, that he was running um, from American Rice in, in 1999. So... That was my real first experience in agriculture. Uh, I had been around agriculture for, for years and years, just growing up. Uncles were farmers. Uh, grandfather were farmers. My dad was in the rice milling industry for forever, so I was around ag for a long time. But uh, actually going to work in the ag industry was in 1999 when my dad bought the mill. And so kind of, you know, it's a, always been in the startup uh, environment as well and more of the brick and mortar on that side. But uh I've always been in the startup business, so uh, just recently moved from uh, Little Rock, uh, worked for my parents for for 15 years, 14 years, I believe. Uh, in August of 2014, I left to start Grainster, and uh, and uh, actually I moved out to Sacramento with my family now to uh, to pursue Grainster. So, in a nutshell, that's my life. <laughs> sure. No, I, I think it's interesting, right? Uh, just kind of how people came to be where they are now. Um, I, I'm curious, though. Did you take? Did you go to university at all? And what what did you take? I did. I went to uh, Delta State University, and then uh, actually uh, finished my degree. Uh, got an associate's degree in general education. So, uh, you know, just uh, most of my experience actually comes from the real world and from working in the industry and, and seeing uh, the disconnect between farmers and, and end users. Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I kind of um, like the fact that that's kind of your your background a bit because I think. You don't necessarily have to have all this like crazy background to do kind of what you guys are doing, right? And like obviously you've right. been in the industry, you grew up in it, but you know, like your education doesn't really like it applies, but it it's kind of loosely related, right? 
Oh, sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, like I said, it really comes from real world experience sure. and, and kind of getting to know the farmer. And that's that's what it was all about. Sure. And I, I think that's inspiring, right? There's a lot of people that have that real wor- world experience and, you know, could potentially turn it into their own their own startup. Um, so I'm, I'm curious then, you moved to, to Sacramento. Was there a reason you moved there and you couldn't do it kind of elsewhere in the country? Or what was your main reason to move to Sacramento? Well, okay. So, uh, so uh, you know, we, we started Grandster in 2014 and uh, I raised a little money in Arkansas. Uh, and, and it's just that, you know, moved out to Sacramento to, to continue the dream, to uh, pursue funding, just to pursue – Sacramento, uh, through lots and lots of research, turns out to be the up-and-coming ag tech capital of the world. So oh, very you know, cool. still working on it. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it's a lot of it's far, uh, uh, farm to fork kind of thing. But with Silicon Valley being so close, and then the Central Valley, uh, it just kind of turns out to be the, a, a perfect triangle for for uh, for ag tech. So it, it just makes sense to move out here and, uh, and pursue my dream. Sure. No, that's awesome. So. How, what is Grainster and kind of how did the idea come to be? Okay, so Grainster uh, simply is a, it's a grain trading platform that allows farmers to sell directly to the end users. Now, um, how Grainster came to be, um, you know, I, I had the idea almost 10 years ago now. Okay. Um, I was working for my parents at the rice mill. And, uh, you know, as, as a family-owned rice mill, you do many different jobs. So one of my jobs was actually buying rice from the farmers and then, We'd mill it and sell it to the end users. So I could see that the disconnect, even from the farmers to a local rice mill, uh, a lot of them thought they had to go through a broker, okay. and that just simply wasn't true. You know, So uh, just could see the disconnect there. And then once we milled the rice, like I said, we, I also sold it to the end users, and rarely did I ever sell to the end user, I guess. Uh, I would always sell to brokers, and then that would go to another broker and another broker and another broker. So just being in the business, I could see the disconnect between the farmer and the end user. And, you know, it transfers from rice to corn to wheat to soybeans, whatever, whatever commodity it is. You know, there's always a producer and always an end user. And then there's a, in my opinion, an archaic uh, section in between there that, that gets it to it. So, uh, so yeah, that, that, that's how I came with, up with the idea, just being in the, in the in the real world, like we're talking about, and uh, and seeing the disconnect. Sure, that that makes a lot of sense. And by end user, do you mean you mean the consumer? Correct. Not exactly, uh, okay. because what we're talking about is, is bulk grain. So you oh, know, okay. bushels and bushels. You know, truckloads, trail, uh, train loads, uh, uh, barges, ships, even you know to that to that extent. So, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, you know, we say end user, so. And it depends on what commodity you're talking about. If you talk about rice, obviously rice has to be milled. So, you know, a, a rice mill could be the end user. But what we're really propping our business model up on is international business. So, you know, the, the farmers have had the, been selling to the same three or four buyers in their local area. And it just makes sense to them because those are the, those are the buyers. So those buyers only have to be better than each other price-wise. So, you know, that's, that's not hard to do. But if you once you start getting out of the boundaries of the United States, and so there are buyers all over the world, especially in rice, because um, you know, most of our rice is exported to the United States. So, just for example, in Central America, they have their own own rice mills down there. So the farmer can theoretically ship directly to the Central American rice mills and cut everybody else out in the middle. So that's really what we're going after. Okay, so how do you guys kind of go about actually? recruiting kind of farmers because you must have tons of connections based on 
um, your, you know, your past kind of family job or did you kind of have to go, you know, kind of hustle, hustle this again or, or kind of walk me through that process? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge. And obviously, you know, we have a, a bigger following in Arkansas in the Mid-South because that's where we're from. And sure. like you said, those are the connections to the farmers that we have. But we want this thing to be available to farmers worldwide. So, um, you know, we've used social media. Facebook, I think we're nearing 6,000 followers on Facebook. Uh, wow. Just a lot, yeah, just a lot of social media is, is really what we did. And, you know, I'm pretty proud of uh, of the presence that we have and the branding that we've done for Grainster with the amount of investment that we've had. So, uh, we've, we, I've had a lot of help in, in that situation. Um, uh, but we've, we, uh, we've done a, a lot with just through social media and just like a grassroots effort, really. So, okay. uh, that's kind of, and, and that, and that kind of speaks to what the farmers want too, because, you know, they're all jumping on board and, and waiting for this to be produced and, 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 and just a worldwide network of, of buyers and sellers. So it's encouraging to have, uh, to have the large following on Facebook and, you know, and, other social social medias and and just uh, I mean you're an online company so you really you know are after the people that are online so we kind of kind of stick to the digital marketing is what we do but also like I said a lot of grassroots and a lot of word of mouth and and just been uh, just been lucky to uh, to have the success that we've had so far. Sure, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious on the on the Facebook um, kind of social media side of things. Did you guys actually buy advertising on Facebook or did you kind of just kind of um, figure out ways to connect with people and kind of grow your audience kind of for free? A yeah, little bit uh, a little bit, a little bit of both. We bought okay. a little bit early on to kind of get that boost going. I think we spent something like 15 bucks a month. So, you know, not, oh, a, wow. not a ton of money. Yeah. 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 I mean, even, even when we were actually buying that, we didn't, we didn't spend a lot of money on that. So, uh, but you know, once we got a, a core group there, then it was really just kind of people sharing it and us making posts and, and keeping, keeping the site active or the, the, the page active. So really, you know, we probably paid for maybe a month, maybe six weeks, something like that. Oh, but wow. the rest of it was just, uh, yeah, the rest of it was just organic. So, but but yeah. I think that's super important, right? To mention, because like, that's how I grew the show is all through kind of, um, m- most of mine has kind of been through Twitter and, and Facebook and, and some LinkedIn. But I think it's also important to, to kind of stress to other people out there listening that, you know, you guys spent pretty a pretty insignificant amount of money to grow just on Facebook and, and to your point of just keeping content relevant and whatnot. And once you get to a certain level, it kind of just snowballs on its own a little bit and you don't really have to put in a bit of effort. Like you have to put in effort kind of at the beginning and kind of ongoing a little bit, but you don't yeah. have to spend as much time kind of ongoing as I think a lot of people think, right? Or spend tens of thousands of dollars on this stuff to get going. That's right. Yeah. No, by no means. Yeah. So, you know, I can remember back when, uh, two years ago when we first started paying. So we were, you know, we were, we were probably, I guess, to, we got up to level through paid advertisements to about four or 500. Sure. But just like you said, that snowball effect kicked in after that. And I mean, it just grew rapidly from 500 to, to the, the 5,500, just, you know, without even trying really, I don't know how to say that, but you know, it was just organic and people were just sharing. And I, you know, like I said, that really, that's really encouraging as an entrepreneur to see that feedback on the social media side. So yeah, yeah, I would suggest, you know, you, you need to do a little paid advertising up front and then just kind of let that thing post if you have a really good idea and, and, and that'll almost be your proof of concept. Sure. No, I, I think that's awesome advice. 
So let's kind of dive a little bit into or deeper into kind of exactly what Grainster does, like kind of walk me through as if like I'm the farmer, like to kind of into the platform, like how does the whole thing kind of work? Gotcha. Uh, so uh, you go to the website and say you're a farmer and you have, uh, let's just use 10,000 bushels of corn. Sure. So uh, you, go, you go to the website and, and it actually works two ways, but let me go through this way first. So yeah, and then we'll cover the other farmer, side. Yeah, exactly. So if you're a farmer, you go and uh, you're, it's a paid membership, five hundred dollars a year, okay. and uh, actually it's free right now. But that's our our, our model is five hundred dollars a year. Um, you get a limited time for free. But anyway, so you, uh, you you go in there, you post your bushels that you have, the ten thousand bushels of corn, and through profit based farming, you should realize that what your return on your investment is. So. Uh, you know, if, uh, all your land costs, your inputs, your seed costs, your fertilizer, all that. Take that and then decide what kind of return on your investment you want. So if that's 20%, then you just do the math and you figure out that you want this is the price that you need. So then you post that on the on the website. You know, we have a negotiation button back and forth. So so uh, a buyer from uh, around the world sees that you, you're selling 10,000 bushels of corn. Well, he can come in and he can – negotiate and make an offer on that. So say, let's just your arbitrary number, say $5 a bushel. I think it's more like three fifty right now, but let's say $5 a bushel sure. is what you're asking for it. And um, the buyer from uh, around the world says, I'll give you four fifty. Well, then you can negotiate back and, you know, it's just a back and forth until you both come up to a, to a, a number that you agree on. Let's just say it's four seventy five. Well, then you both confirm that four seventy five, and then you're taken into our, our transaction engine which is being developed right now. Uh, and at the same time, the logistics model, which we have logistics partners, uh, both brick and mortar and uh, online uh, logistics models as well that are partners with us. So then you get the, you get the, uh, you get the process going. So you, you've made a deal and now it has to be shipped and that, you know, the terms are, uh, do you want it all shipped at once or do you need it, you know, shipped uh 2,000 bushels a month or whatever that may be. So you guys have to figure out that out between the buyer and the seller or on our platform. And then the actual shipping comes through freight forwarders and, uh, like I mentioned, the partners that we have right now. And we are developing our own logistics platform at the same time. But what the farmers always want to know, and rightfully so, is how do we get paid? So sure. what we're really working on right now is a transaction engine that's going to allow the farmers, basically like a big PayPal, Gotcha. But uh, it'll allow the farmers to know, especially if they're sell- selling across borders, you know, um, sometimes that makes them feel insecure because they don't know how they're going to get paid. So right. we'll act as an intermediate there. And the, the, the buyer, when the farmer ships the, ships the grain, the buyer will wire the money to us. And then once the buyer receives the grain, then the money is passed on to the farmer. So it's always held in a safe, secure location. And the farmers are, are, are sure they're going to get paid. So that's a, that's a big deal to them. Sure, I can but, imagine. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and so I guess you know, and it, it works on the other side too. So buyers can post their needs. So if a buyer needs ten thousand bushels of corn again, then he can post that, and farmers can go and and match up the other way, and so they can say, and the negotiation works just the same. But it's just uh, the buyers can post their needs, and the farmers can fill those needs. So you know, it, it works both ways. This is what I'm saying, but. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, in, in the short. That's that's uh, that's how it works. So okay, no, that's very cool. And this might be a really dumb question because I don't really know much about kind of the actual farming process itself. But 
how like okay i have this say corn to sell or to your to your point a few minutes ago how soon before i actually harvest it do i need to post that online or if somebody requests it do i say like oh i'll I'll have a crop ready in like a week or six weeks or or how does that kind of work well uh, you know um I would say the sooner the better. So it's called forward contracting. It's really what it's called. But I'd say the sooner the better because, you know, at harvest time, you don't want to get on there and sell at harvest time necessarily because that's when the most supply is available. And so, the you know, the prices get pushed down at harvest time. It just happens right. every year. So, you know, uh, if you're looking at your, your inputs and your, in your profit-based farming, then say sometime in, you know, before you even put your crop in the ground, you can start looking at prices. So oh, it all okay. depends on, on each farmer. So, you know, you could say in February, you already have your inputs in and, you know, now you're ready to plant your crop. So you could go ahead and start booking that in. And now, you know, there's chances of, uh, of, of crop failure and things like that. So, you know, beyond crop insurance, you probably don't want to book everything that you have in but a percentage of what you have in and then kind of make sure once you get further in the season, come back again and, and book the rest of it. And when you're sure, you know, fairly sure that, uh, that you're going to, what, of what quant- quality, quantity you're going to produce. So the answer is you should probably split it up, but there, every farmer's, you know, different, different reasons. They, they, they sell at different times. So, sure. uh, that's, uh, that's how, that's how it, in a perfect world, it would, you know, you would sell a percentage, before you ever even put your crop in the ground, sell another percentage while you have the crop that has a, has a good stand, and then maybe even a smaller percentage at, at harvest time, just to, you know, what your overages are. So that's kind of how it lays out. No, I, I got you. And I guess over time, as like your platform evolves, you could almost suggest to the farmer based on their location geographically, it might be time to plant this type of crop because it'll be ready in this you know, I don't know, in X amount of weeks or months or whatever, however long it takes to grow. And then you basically say, like, you will get the best return on your investment because based on last year's statistics, there was a shortage of X crop this month. Like, stuff like that are you guys kind of thinking about? Yeah, that would fall underneath our analytics program. So, you know, our so you put the three pieces, the major pieces together, and you have, which are the trading platform, the logistics platform, and the transaction engine. And then once you have those going, those are your core pieces. Once you have those going, then you can produce analytics, which are all content-driven. And just like you're saying, farmers can use that information to predict what they're going to plan for next year or what price they're going to sell for, you know, many, many different things. And beyond that, beyond the farmer, there are uh, tons of people that would like to have that cash grain information from around the world as well, say bankers, uh, uh futures traders, uh, uh, crop insurance companies. So lots of people would like to have that information. But even more exciting than the analytics, um, so once you put all three of those pieces together, then we can produce what we call a food safety program. So we can track the the, the seed from the seed, because there's lots of information that you can get for uh, farm management software, that you can get the information from the seed to the bin. But once it leaves that farmer's bin, and before it gets to the processor, there's uh, you know there's some paper trails and things like that, scale tickets, but it's all it's pretty archaic. So uh, once we digitalize that, then we can complete the piece that makes that food safety program, which the world really badly needs right now, and and actually uh, USAID and other entities are calling for it. So 
pretty excited about the marketing piece. In my opinion, that's that's the missing piece. That's what everybody's missing. It's that marketing piece because that's where you lose track of it. Because the farmer has a a good hold on it from you know where, it, where the seed that he bought. He can track it what what inputs he put on it. You know all the way to the bin, like I said. But but once you once you put it on a truck or a train, you lose you lose track of it to a large extent. So we have solutions to uh, to figure out how to how to complete a food safety program. Sure, and once it leaves the country yeah. too, right? It's probably even more difficult to track. Correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And it is still, it's still today. There are a lot of handwritten lot numbers, and and it's put on a pallet or something like that, and those papers fly away. You know, tons of things can happen in, in 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 transit. So, a digital copy, even be able to track what the truck driver, who the truck driver was, what the what the pitmaster's name was. You, you know, just all kinds of information in there that would be handy to. And, and, to have as a recall pro- or a food safety program slash a recall program, tra- uh, traceability program, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, that's a pretty exciting aspect of it that uh, that a lot of people are are, are in on. Sure, and I, I think even like the consumer, there seems to be like a really big growing demand for people wanting to know exactly where their food came from. Not everybody, but I think a lot more people are are actually being more conscious, or they really like kind of locally grown stuff or like the truly organic stuff and if it's not kind of locally grown they'd like to know kind of exactly where their stuff or their meals and food are from right right and yeah it's all consumer driven you're exactly right so our ultimate end user you asked that question earlier but our ultimate end user is the consumer now we may not be selling directly to the consumer but they're 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 the ones that are, are driving these uh these entities to, to come up with food safety programs because the, the, the consumer wants to know you're exactly right where their food came from. But and, I also, uh, you know. Sure. I, I also think, and like, it could just be me kind of fascinated but it, or by this, but if, if I went out for dinner somewhere and I ordered, I don't know, like steak and rice and potatoes or why well, it doesn't really matter, right? If it <laughs> literally, like even if it was on an app or something that it would tell me like, your meat's from like this farm located here and your rice is like from this farm. located. Like, I don't yeah. know. I think that would be very cool. And I obviously like you guys probably aren't, you know, there yet, but I think like you could get there and it's just something that always kind of fascinated yeah. me. Right. Like I would love to know that stuff. I, I get it's not really relevant to anything. It doesn't really change anything, but it's kind of fascinating. Right. And there's a lot of people that do care about that. But I think even just from kind of like, a, well, that's pretty cool. Like this was here, you know, I'm eating this from there. Right. That's right. Yeah. And so we always use the analogy of a box of cereal. So if you have a, a QR code on the back of a box of cereal, scan that, and then it gives you the trail of the grain that's sure. in that cereal all the way back to the to the seed, basically. So you could almost say you're tracking it from the seed in the ground all the way to the stomach. So sure. that's a that's a complete cycle. Yeah, yeah. So that that is fascinating, and, and it's just you're you're right. It's just neat to know where your where your food came from. Yeah, and then I think even just from like an allergy point of view too, for people, right, to track some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and it gets beyond that too. You know, so if you, if there's um aflatoxin in the corn or, or whatever it is and they don't catch it on the on the ship on the outbound shipment then you know it's caught on the inbound then there's a way to track that back and trace that back and put it in the lots and and you know and do something with that corn and not serve it to the public so you know with the with a dangerous toxin in it so so it gets to be a you know actually a food safety program pretty quick so it can do do lots of good to, for the world Sure, and then you're also kind of cutting out a bunch of middlemen, or potentially cutting out a bunch of middlemen. Correct? That's right. Yeah, that's right. 
Um, so yeah, we're going directly from the farmer to the end user. So, you know, there's, there's industry in the middle and, and that's what they do is they just connect those and, uh, you know, and they're in my opinion, making a lot of the profit that the, that the farmers are, are, are deserve. And, you know, they just don't have the marketing arm that these guys have, or just don't know the people that these guys know really the way it works now. So just trying to supersede that old model and, uh, and put a new model in place. Yeah, I, I love that idea of that you guys are kind of bringing technology to this archaic kind of market that hasn't been known to be that tech savvy, right? Like obviously they have all the heavy equipment and whatnot, but from kind of a actual tracking and monetization and kind of marketing side, like I, I love yeah. that, that you guys are doing that. And and so, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say yeah, they have lots of they have lots of equipment on the you know that that's up-to-date and, uh, and futuristic almost, you know, from the tractor side, the satellite imagery and all that. But nobody's really attacking the marketing side. And so, yeah, that's what we're excited about to be, uh, kind of be the front runners in, in the marketing side and, and get this get this thing out there for the farmers. Sure. So I'm, I'm also curious, are you guys doing or going to eventually do kind of anything related to kind of like the animal side of the farming? Yeah, we, uh, you know, we're open. Our, our goal is to get these first four big crops, the big four that I call them, okay. uh, rice, wheat, corn, and soybeans, to get get the model perfected on those. And then we can open up channels for anything from corn, I mean, some uh, to uh, from coffee to, uh, you know, to bananas, uh, to hogs, whatever it may be. So, yeah, yeah, we can open it up to several different commodities. And, you know, once you start getting into those commodities, you might want to look, we're thinking about looking at, custom software and maybe develop the the type of uh, platform for those different. Now, let me just give you an example. So in the cattle world, auctioning is the way it's done. Sure. So, you know, we'll look at and make it an auction platform for the cattle world. Now, grain farmers, they don't necessarily want to sell their their, uh, their grain in auction because it's kind of a – auctions to them are kind of a – a negative thing but to cattle farmers that's how they buy their cattle all the time so sure. at that point we'll start looking at different customizable software and and uh you know what the market calls for and just kind of follow what the people are saying no that makes a lot of sense um and then obviously you open up markets kind of globally right so like you could have farmers in all all parts of the world right on your platform shipping yeah. their product globally yeah that's exactly that's exactly the goal and that's the what the business model is completely propped up on is, is, is intercontinental exchange of grain. So, you know, opening up markets, uh, like I said earlier, just, you know, not having the same three or four people to sell to, having uh, the world to sell to. So that greatly increases your marketing on. Sure. And I, I know, like, I, I know, like, kind of in the coffee and, like, tea space, um, people really care where their kind of stuffs or their coffee or tea is kind of coming from. And, and, they really care about, you know, being fair to the farmers. And I think what what I like about your guys' platform is you're kind of doing that to the rest of the farming industry, right? And I get you could still do to tea and coffee, but, you know, that's sure. kind of yeah. that's kind of started already. But I think to, to yeah, your yeah, point, like yeah. nobody did, did a lot for that, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? And I think it's cool that you guys are bringing this to kind of the other – uh, areas of farming that maybe aren't as kind of trendy as like coffee and tea, right? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So your cereal is not nearly as trendy as coffee or, or coffee or tea, but yeah. Uh, and, and we talked about this earlier that people are you know beyond that, beyond the coffee and tea, really just want to know where their food comes from. So yeah, that's a, that's what we're after is 
is uh, you know it's been it's been that way for coffee farmers uh, for a while now. Fair trade has been you know been around for a while, but for the grain farmers, for the even the produce farmers, for other, all the other farmers around the world that, like you said, aren't as trendy as coffee. Uh, you know, they deserve a fair shake too. So yeah, that's what we're trying to extend it to everyone and basically create fair trade around the world. Sure. So are you having any hurdles training kind of, I I would consider, and I don't mean this in a mean negative way, that farmers aren't traditionally known to be the most tech savvy. I'm sure some are, some aren't, kind of some are in the middle. Are you having kind of any trouble? And if you are, um, kind of talk about how, how do you go kind of bridging that like, you know, gap between adding technology into an industry that isn't really known for being kind of that tech savvy? Yeah. Well, the generational shift is, is playing a huge benefit in our favor. Okay. Um, so from generational shift, I mean, the, the, the younger sons, the younger daughters are actually coming into the farming and taking over from, from the 60, 65, 70 year old dad. Got you. And, uh, he's given, he's given the, the power to the, to the kids basically. So these kids have grown up, you know, around technology and on their smartphones all the time. So it's a whole lot easier. So the generational shift has, has helped us say 10 years ago when I had the idea, we weren't ready for this. Sure. And, you know, this, uh, this just wasn't possible back then but now the generational shift is coming in and you hear the age average age of a farmer going up and up you know 65 67 somewhere around there but these kids are coming in and taking over and uh and and that's that's helped us out a lot so you know these guys are willing to look at different marketing aspects and different marketing ideas and selling online is not nearly as scary to them because you know i'm sure they bought something from amazon or, or whatever ebay or whatever so they're pretty used to it and they trust the internet so that's that's helped us out greatly I'd say the generational shift is our is our biggest one of our biggest allies. Sure. So I'm kind of curious. Then, um, are you guys just going to be an online platform? Are you guys going to build kind of Android and iOS apps, or is it still kind of up in the air a little bit? Yeah, we'll have apps eventually. Uh, you know, we decided not to focus on that right now and just get the get the process nailed down and, and perfected. But yeah, we will definitely have apps and uh, and 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 probably beyond that as well eventually. So you kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, you you guys raised um, some money kind of at the beginning. Um, are you guys still kind of looking to raise money? Where are you guys kind of at in that um, kind of funding area? So, yeah, so I, I self-funded uh, early on uh, okay. to get it off the ground. And then I had a, a, an angel investor come in uh, but almost two years ago now. Um, pretty sure we have uh, – another angel round coming in uh, fairly soon. And uh, after that, we're going to kind of reconfigure and be ready for our Series A round, uh, round of funding. So that's what we're gearing up for right now is our Series A. And that's part of the reason I moved out to Sacramento. Sure. Okay. Um, did you have any connections in Sacramento or, or not really? Just you, you mentioned before it's kind of an up-and-coming agricultural kind of hotspot, but did you know anybody there? Or you kind of just moved there knowing – it's kind of up and coming. Yeah, it's kind of moved here. It's kind of moved here. Uh, you know, through Facebook and social media, you know, loosely know some people in the area, and they can kind of guide you. You know, just coming into to a new area. But on the on the bigger part, I, we didn't really know anybody out here. So I uh, moved my wife and and three three young daughters out here. So lots of people thought we were crazy, but uh, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. And we just did a lot of research, and you know. We were at a point in Arkansas where we, you know, had sold our house and 
we thought, okay, so where in the world, and we just really literally stepped back and said, where in the world would be the best spot for us? So we, you know, we looked at Fayetteville, Arkansas. We looked at different places around the country, just kind of as uh, uh, startup hubs, you know, and ag tech world is a little different. Just because it's a startup hub doesn't mean it's necessarily good for the ag tech. And uh, we've learned that over the years. But just through research and, and, you know, just, figuring out where in the world would be the best for Grainster. And so we came to Sacramento, California. Now, obviously, you know, uh, Silicon Valley has a lot of uh, ag tech companies, and it's hot out there right now. Uh, but you kind of get lost in that as well. And I really like the, the feel of Sacramento. They, you know, the uh, farm to fork is, is one of their slogans of the city. They've got a, this uh, entity called Greater Sacramento that's recruiting companies to come to the to the Sacramento area, even from the Bay Area, and, oh, and they're having success. So, uh, you know, and they're just positioned perfectly here in the Central Valley with rice to the north and produce and nuts and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, it's California's the fifth largest economy in the world. So, you know, it's a, agriculture is a big deal here. So, uh, and, and there's, they're strategically located with Silicon Valley still, you know, some opening satellite offices in Sacramento. Uh, like I said, the agriculture world here, it's just, it's kind of coming, turning out to be the perfect storm for ag tech here in Sacramento, I think. So we, uh, we wanted to, to get out here in the middle of it and that's what we did. No, I, I think that's awesome. And, and kind of why I asked the question is because I think a lot of people are kind of, you know, in, in the space where you were like a while ago before you decided to just up and move to a new state. Right. And I think that's, that can be scary, right. To leave a job, to start a, uh, a startup, to move across yeah. the country, right? And and you did it, uh, but I but I'm curious then to know what advice you would give to somebody that's kind of was in your in your shoe or is in your shoes that you were in a few years ago before you decided to kind of leave a job, do a startup, move across the country. Like, what advice do you have for people? Like you mentioned, kind of do your research and and whatnot and pick an area that. Yeah. Yeah. But do you have any other kind of advice for people that are, are looking to do or thinking about doing something similar like you did a few years ago? Yeah, I mean, it, it, at the core, it would be just do it. Follow your dreams because, I mean, you never want to ask what if. I sure. mean, that's that's going to be the worst question that haunts you for the rest of your life. What if I would have done this, you know? So uh, I'd just say just do it. Just follow your dreams. Make sure that, that it is your dream first, but then – and do your research, whether it's ag tech or whatever it may be. Do your research on where you should be, where the best place in the world for you to be, and then and then go for it. That's that's it's as simple as that. And it sounds simple now, but back when you know, I, even back to when I first contracted to build the first platform for Grainster, that was kind of the stepping off point. After that, it's just kind of you know you, you do whatever's best for the company, and 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 just you don't think too much about it, but you just do whatever's best for the company. So that first step off point is actually when you contract to do whatever you're going to do or take that first step whatever that looks like for you and so just all i'd say is just do it go for it if it's your dream go for it sure and i'm obviously you you got the support from kind of your wife and and whatnot moving across the country yeah it was actually uh we kind of came up with it almost at the same time but individually so it, it wasn't hard sales it was kind of almost her idea so uh so yeah, she was. Uh, she's she actually is uh, one of the majority owners of the company. So she's uh, been heavily involved in, in Grainster all along. And at the very least, back in you know the ten years, a sounding board for me to say, oh, that's crazy, or yeah, that sounds like it might work. So so yeah, she's been heavily involved in Grainster, and uh, and she uh, she's a big supporter of of the move to Sacramento. 
Sure. I, I think that's super important, right? If you to have somebody that's kind of whether it's a spouse or a significant other or kind of family and friends to support kind of for, for lack of a better term, almost your crazy idea, right? Like my wife supported right. my all my crazy ideas with, with the show and a handful of other things that I'm kind of involved in. So, you know, like I think that's important to kind of stress that it's it's nice to have that kind of sounding board and support system, right? Because I think in a lot of cases nobody would be able to do what they do if they don't have that. And at least in my experience yeah. anyway. No, it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean it's made the whole process of Grainster, which, you know, like I said, she's been heavily involved for the last ten years, so None of us was really surprised. She kind of saw it all coming, I guess. But, yeah, I couldn't have done it without her, without the support of my parents and my uh, my parents-in-law and, you know, just it, just a, a number of people, my my business partners, uh, all, all the, the Grainster team. You know, it's, without all their support, it, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really do anything or it never gets off the ground. It's kind of flops. So you absolutely need the support of, of your community, your fa- your friends, your families. So, yeah, absolutely. It helps or is it, it, vital, I, I would say. Sure. No, that that's awesome. But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close the show with mentioning where people can get more information about uh, Grainster and any other kind of social media links you want to mention that people can go check out. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you can go to Grainster.com or Grainster.market. And uh, the platform's not up right now, but it, there is a lot of information on the website uh, kind of explaining what we're doing with the transaction engine and and our vision to a certain extent as well. So uh, Grainster.com or Grainster.market, and then also uh, follow us on Facebook at, uh, at Grainster at Facebook. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your uh, busy day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see where you guys go with this thing. Awesome, Kevin. Thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Perfect, man. All right, you have a good rest of your day, and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.